0: Welcome to Sacred Justice, a podcast that features discourse rooted in the pursuit of justice as sacred practice. Our weekly discussions reflect on current events, art, media, theology, and how they intersect with the movements for freedom and liberation. We hope that through these conversations, we can foster inclusivity by expanding our learning opportunities. We hope to cultivate digital community beyond the confines of our campus. And we hope to reconnect the church's social and spiritual callings. Join us for the journey. This episode contains language about suicide, suicidal ideation, and some of the challenges that come along with mental health journeys. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast series, Sacred Justice. I'm Mia McLean, and I'm here with Ben Boswell and we are gonna continue our very juicy conversation about Station Eleven and some other things. But first of all, how are you doing today, Ben?
1: I'm good. It's a beautiful day here in Charlotte, North Carolina. The sun is shining, you know? And uh, so just trying to uh, kind of get myself into that summer feel, you know? I've, there's a feel, you gotta get into the summer and I'm trying to get myself in. I'm not really there yet, but I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm on flip-flops and shorts, in the afternoons, trying to make it like feel like it's actually summer, but I uh, haven't been to the pool. That will be kind of a key moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so anybody who wants to invite me to their pool, go ahead. Right now, you can send me an email. <laughs> I, I couldn't get into my community pool this year, so I'm looking for pools to get into. Okay. Well, so, yeah, just want to put that out there to the universe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> somebody <laughs> add in to their, you yeah, know, somebody
1: get me a pool membership. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want yeah. this just come on one time. I want the uh, whole membership. I'm okay. I'll
0: see.
1: i be greedy about it. How are I you see.
0: doing? I'm good. We, uh, we had a very busy weekend, um, at the church this past weekend, um, with this conference, um, Stellar conference curated by Devin Green, who is a church member. And Devin oh. is 19 years old. And I told Tara earlier today, Reverend Tara, I said, at 19, I was like on the couch watching like House Hunters. Like what? <laughs> like what is, you know, I, I was working, but I was not planning a conference. So <laughs> I, you
1: know. at 19, I was carrying a rifle.
0: Oh, God. Oh, well, you were doing something also army. very intense. I was intense. in the
1: army. Yeah, very yeah. But I was being ordered to do all the things I was doing. I wasn't planning conferences like Devin. Amazing.
0: It was incredible. Yeah, it was great.
1: I had a whole kind of like out-of-body experience being on Saturday because I was was trying to be at two places at the same time, and I had a very busy day. There was an all-day conference that Devin had planned on LGBTQ allyship and what it means to be an ally. That was one of the most successful conferences we've ever had incredibly well planned, very well attended, um, getting positive feedback from people who were there. It's fantastic. So I was showing up there, but I also had an all-day um, retreat for churches that are a part of the Thrive, Thriving for Racial Justice uh, Lily grant that we received as a church. We were one of those churches, of course, as you know, Gerardo and I started that grant. so mm-hmm. But we were lucky to also be a part of it as well. And um, so I was on that with our key lay leader who's who's on that. Tara Harris, so it was the, the, the lay leader and the pastor of all the, tr- the churches that are in the Thrive Grant talking about what all these churches are doing uh, on racial justice and what they're mm-hmm. learning as they walk down this journey. So it was a really cool moment for me to be, uh, as pastor, to be doing both LGBTQ allyship and racial justice at the same time in the same building, even though I was on Zoom for one and in person with the other. Uh, And then I had a wedding for a church member that night (laughs) that I did. I performed. It was a really cool kind of like moment as a pastor to see all the things that are being done. And in each case, the laity are really driving the ship in all these events. I'm just kind of showing up and providing what I'm asked to provide. But like Devin planned the LGBTQ retreat. Mm -hmm. Tara Harris was on a panel talking about with other lay leaders Talking about what she's learned, uh, uh in, in what our church has been doing on racial justice, and then of course, you know, somebody else planned this wedding, and I just showed up and said a few words. But we had a bunch of staff people there as well, uh, Amy, and Tom, and Carol, and Rainey were there. And uh, this is a really cool, fun time to connect with uh, lay people and staff. So it was a really just good day. It was a good day, it was a really long day and a tiring day, but a good day
0: yeah, for our church. Yeah. But a reminder that, you know, we are doing things in the world and for the community that sometimes aren't as, you know, um, people might not know about maybe Mm -hmm. because they're not paying Mm -hmm. attention or they don't read the emails or whatever. But these are affecting people's lives. I mean, we we had so many visitors on campus on Saturday. With this conference, people who have never been here before, but who are partnering organizations in Charlotte, Equality North Carolina, Transcend Charlotte, mm-hmm. um, representatives from the Freedom Center for Social, Center for Social Justice, we yes. have all these Alliance of Baptists.
1: Ba- Bishop Tonya Rawls, yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the partnerships that are being created, I thought, I told Devin, I was like, we need an event that brings together all the organizations, nonprofit and and for and churches that are working on LGBTQ inclusivity mm-hmm. work and justice yeah. work in the city. And we almost had he Devin almost did it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had uh, Caldwell folks here,
0: yeah, from
1: Caldwell Presbyterian, and so yeah, it was it's pretty awesome. Um, to see that. And yeah, you're right. A lot of people in the in the city wouldn't see that. You know, they mm-hmm. wouldn't understand that or the church wouldn't see how we are And you know, this is what I keep saying. I think I mentioned this some other time. Uh you and I I guess we're probably talking seeing senior staff or something. This church is saving people's lives. It, mm-hmm. Maybe not in the ways that we are traditionally have, but through our advocacy, through our support, through being a safe community and affirming community for people uh, who have been historically marginalized from church, from white dominant spaces, from uh, wealthy spaces. We're, we're you know, we're saving people's lives. That's that's ministry, that's gospel. Yeah. And it's always exciting to see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, I, I was talking to the person who was um, tabling for Equality North Carolina and they were like, do you all allow alcohol on campus? And I was like, hmm, why? <laughs> And he was like, um, you know, it's a really nice space. We would love to host an event here that kind of brings together um, some groups. We can maybe bring together faith communities. I'm like, you know, we would love to host you and partner with you. I said, I think our policy says something like we have to be a sponsor in the event and approve certain things. And I was like, we were happy to sponsor. And he was trying to, like, say, well, we can make it a faith thing. And I was like, you don't have to make it a faith thing because everything is faith and justice. They work together. So. Uh, for the people out there who like to compartmentalize as if, you know, spirituality hmm. is different Say from justice. that.
1: Someone didn't preach that message.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, somebody did kind of yesterday, but. I um, <laughs> you said
1: kind of like I <laughs> Well, I, I mean, kind of tried to do it. I know I you did it, did but it. some people might not have heard oh, you, okay. what
0: you were There's doing. a lot
1: to reflect on. There were layers. Yes. I heard yes. there were layers. Like to the I muscle. know what
0: you were doing. But anyway, so he was like, "Yeah, we will." I'm like, it doesn't have to be a, a explicitly a faith or a spirituality. Then th- I said, "Whatever you're doing, if it's in alignment with what our mission is, which if it's Equality North Carolina, it probably is. Then we are happy to sponsor the space and then you know go through the process of having you know alcohol, or whatever. <laughs> but you know, but I thought it was great. He had never been here before, and Ooh. and now he knows our campus, and he was like, "Oh, we can partner on a project."
1: Well, and I was just so impressed. Also, along those same lines, that the um, the person from Alliance flew in just for the conference.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I just think that the commitment that these organizations have to this to this work is always just so impressive to me. And I, as one as our primary you know denominational partner, our primary Baptist part affiliation, it's nice to see Alliance uh, folks here on our campus, mm-hmm. um, and we hope to have you know Reverend uh, Elijah at some point here um yeah we need to that'll be good um and so yeah i mean i I i'll just also say because a lot of people don't always hear the behind the scenes stuff which is part of one of the reasons we do this podcast but i learned uh through being on the thrive call the thrive retreat that there are a lot of churches out there who are doing um things um for racial justice that we have not even scratched the surface on yet as a church Mm -hmm. and a lot of people look to us as the pioneers you know very few churches have a you know white dominant churches have a whiteness course that people are going through right so they're looking at us but then when tara's on the panel and she's saying well here's some things that that you all are doing that we're not doing i was really impressed to hear that in one church there's an effort where they they have now started paying royalties Uh, whenever they sing spirituals composed by enslaved Africans. It's almost like a reparations effort for white dominant spaces whenever they sing African-American spirituals. And I just thought, what a cool way to raise up that and to put that in the order of worship and to say, here we are singing this song just because, you know, and we should acknowledge the contribution and of where it came from and it's mm-hmm. continued ongoing spiritual power a lot of the churches also have at least three churches have taken part of their outreach budget and allotted it for repair mm-hmm. now we've given a gift to restorative justice charlotte no it was not to black lives matter it was to restorative justice charlotte and um <laughs> <laughs> it was squash that rumor now and mm-hmm. and uh but but so we've given some money for repair work, but to have an, a slice of your budget that every year is always going to repair was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of groups have a task force. That's not just a, uh, some have a racial justice task force. Some have like a reparations task force. And a lot of the churches also have a task force that's doing the a historical study of race in the church because some of these churches are old enough that their founders, you know, were in fact slaveholders themselves, and um, so they're going back and excavating that history and mm. and, and working through it. I, so I was, I would just say, I was, I was impressed, and I think it's good for people in our church who listen to this podcast to know we're actually not uh, always as on the cutting edge of racial justice as we think we are. We got a lot more work to do.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's always work to do which is a, a unfortunate segue so we're going into <laughs> our current events section and mm. no, I'll just get started cuz I'm just annoyed but yeah. this housing situation here in Charlotte is just if there's anything that's reminding you there's work to do is the fact that we are in this crisis right now i mean that it's a national crisis so it's not a Charlotte thing but the amount of phone calls we're getting every week to pay people's rents and and not, not like rents in like a nice hotel. I'm like rents in filthy
1: places
0: Hmm. that are charging $500 a week for trash. I mean like
1: Not sanitary, not clean.
0: on 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 the human trafficking route, because as we know, Charlotte is number seven in the nation for human trafficking, like a human trafficking hub because I 85 cuts through here. And so you can really get somebody from Alabama to Virginia in like a day, right? Mm -hmm. We are number seven in the country for human trafficking. I went to go pay this lady's rent and she has two small children and she's at one of the top like stops for human trafficking in this country. I mean, you know, in, 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 Charlotte. And I'm, I'm like, this, and then and I went to go get a receipt for somebody else's rent that I paid huge drug addict population right which is we support we support addicts i mean we are not in a position to judge or condemn and also it is unsafe to have your children in the place no, that's uh, yeah. overrun with that culture right now and so it just has been and i'm i'm reading this news about Brook Hill and mm the redevelopment that that they've been trying to do and and the developer pulled out in February and a new developer wants to come in and build, you know, fancy apartments as they're doing in many neighborhoods in the country. You know, you're going into these impoverished neighborhoods and you're promising um, affordable housing and then affordable housing comes and it's, $1,800 a month for a one bedroom, which is not affordable. So I'm just going to sit, I'm sitting with that today, and it's frustrating. And we keep getting these phone calls, and we are not a social services agency. We cannot provide wraparound services that people really need to solidify transitioning out of homelessness and poverty into something more stable. And I just am like, what, if, you know, what, I, I don't know. I'm frustrated.
1: <laughs> it's frustrating because it doesn't seem like there's a way out. Of this, and a lot of it is so sad because it it has to do with, you know, political po- lack of political will. It's similar to the gun violence thing, it's it's not like you can't solve this problem. No, this is a solvable problem.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: a problem that can easily be solved with with the right political will, and it's also a problem that has to be solved over time. It can't be solved with one um, quick fix. You know, mm-hmm. I always think about the churches that have given. 20 million dollars to buy a you know to to build or to buy an old motel and re- refurb it into affordable housing units they they dropped 20 million which for a church is a huge amount of money massive amount of money and they create what 80 units at the most 80 units mm-hmm. we need 50,000 yeah you know so you know you're talking about if every church in the city got gave 20 million it would not give 50,000 units so yeah we're asking churches to take on and fill in the gaps for, and I think those churches are doing that are great, but I think they're they're just filling in the gaps created by a political system that is broken that doesn't understand that just is really okay with citizens living in squalor. Right? So I think that's a, that's a real moral problem, a moral issue with the city. And it, it was always this intractable politics. No, it's, it could be solved. It could be solved. It's mm-hmm. not that hard. The other thing is it's just a, re- a lack of planning. You know, here we have this this city that was planned through a lot of brilliance, or so folks thought, uh, to create this, up you know, uptown area. Um, you know, we know the history of urban renewal that was done to create this uptown area and all the other investments to try to bring the NASCAR Hall of Fame and hotels and all this stuff to uptown. And... Uh, <laughs> Where was the public transportation planning, folks? Y- y- no. Y'all are y'all are twenty years out now from the city that we should have been twenty years ago. Before now, you're you're mm-hmm. a you're a generation and a half from when you uh, from the public transportation you should have built. You know, think about when they built the subway in New York City. That was a long time ago, or in DC, right, mm-hmm. or in these other major metropolitans, and so. You could solve the housing crisis tomorrow by just building public transportation out to the areas where people can afford to live. Yeah. Now, even in Concord, trying to get a one bedroom is still <sighs> too high. Too <sighs> high in Concord right now. But but you could keep going for like you got to keep finding places outside even of Concord, you know? And you then gas to, is you know,
0: rising. G- so yeah. what do you want people to do? I mean, ain't a, ain't a lot of jobs out in, out in Concord, that are that are career. Yeah, all
1: the jobs in, in Concord were sent overseas when Cannon Mills felt closed, and the plant that employed almost everyone there in the old mill towns that they were, that the mill plant that was the, a, a cotton, you know, they made linens. Wonder where that cotton came from. Um, mm-hmm. Made linens to sell, you know, to high-end linens for people's houses, sheets and pillowcases and covers and towels, towels especially. Uh, All the, all that work went overseas. That Mm -hmm. plant shut down. It's now a baseball park and a research area, right? Yeah. That which took 15 years, 20 years to go from closing the plant to a research park. What did those people do who had jobs there for 20 years? They went to work at Walmart. Yeah. That's where they went to work. A lot of folks went to work at Walmart when I, you know, when the plant closed down.
0: Um,
1: And I think that D the deindustrialization of America, We still have not even come to reckon with what that's done to us, you know, investments, the trade where you can send your company over to China, pay, you know, half the amount of labor costs, make the same amount of money, keep your company in business. I mean, it's just it destroys entire towns that are relying on these these companies to Mm -hmm. employ a workforce. You know, you could work at Cannon Mills back in the day, back in the 70s, even 80s, maybe. And you could work there having no college degree, maybe mm-hmm. not even having a high school diploma mm-hmm. and provide for your family and buy a home and buy a mill house, take care of your family. I've been in those houses. You know, mm-hmm. I dated girls that grew up in those families. You know, I know that, I know that world, you know, and I, it's just so sad to see what could have been, what could have been done, you know, and all, and that's those, that's the little towns, right? So now all you can do really there is they, you can build a bedroom community yeah. where you have a strip mall, a target, basically, you put a target and some apartments. Yeah, and it that's becomes all it is. an old economy. It's a bedroom economy, right? Bars, yeah. target, and some apartment complexes.
0: Yeah, that's all it is, and it's it's just. I mean, I remember watching this happen. Well, not kind of witnessing it happen when I lived in Syracuse and upstate New York. has a very similar story. You know, just everything was. You know, Syracuse was salt city. It was that was their economy. They were they had salt mills and they were producing things. The carrier carrier dome carrier was the the Mm. air conditioning people. And when they started outsourcing those jobs, you know, most of my cab drivers were like 70 year old men who Mm. who were trying to make ends meet. Right. Mm. Like in Syracuse, you know, so. It's just it's it's a nationwide issue that I feel like if we try to tackle it city by city, we're never going to catch up because it really needs to have some sort of national legislation coming down. This is absolutely out of control.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. One of the one of the ways to kind of get a frame around what what is intractable here is that there was this. I don't know want to say good because it was one of the hardest things I've ever watched, but it's, it's a HBO miniseries called show me a hero Hmm. and it's about the battle to build affordable housing in yonkers new york (laughs) yeah you know it's directed by david simon who of course i love who also directed the, the the office and it's about the the mayor the young mayor of yonkers new york who finds himself engulfed in this like racially divided um battle about the city's future and about affordable housing And the the way the residents come after him for proposing affordable housing initiatives, Um, you get to see the demonic underbelly of what NIMBY, we keep calling it NIMBY. That sounds like way nicer than it is, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not in my backyard. Like that's somehow that there's like virtue in it. No, that's not virtuous, right? NIMBY, it sounds too nice for what's really going on there, (laughs) <laughs> you know people are people are hurting people are dying people are being excluded people are you know not having anywhere to live so i you know folks want to watch something that really gives you a picture of what it takes to build affordable housing in a city like yonkers that's up north think about in charlotte right what the fight would look, would look like um it's really sad and i'll just give you trigger warning and an alert uh you know the mayor kills himself in the end because it oh, was
0: wow.
1: yeah wow. so um it's it's rough it's rough
0: yeah Oh well, what what, what is yeah. your uh, current event? Oh, <laughs> uh, I gotta
1: I got I gotta do some. I gotta take some fam- I need to do some family cleanup work here inside the inside the tent inside the Christian tent and inside the Baptist tent because this report came out. I think you've heard about this report, Mia. Um, of this, the report on the Southern Baptist Convention abuse scandal. And it's a report of the cover up, not the not the abuse. It's not a report of the abuse. We have that already, and it's horrible. It's horrifying. Now we have a report of the cover up of the abuse, and um, I would say that we should, you know, people should be surprised and aghast. But of course, people are not. And it happened to the Catholic Church, and so a lot of people are saying, "Well, is it as bad as that?" Yes, yes, just as bad as that, just as damaging as that and um you know it's just a it's an unbelievable story of people trying to protect an image and an institution over the bodies of mostly women and children right Mm -hmm. and instead of what doing and somehow trying to protect what this organization was when in reality um we have to reckon—I I see debates about this all the time, and I always say the theology and the practice go hand in hand. You cannot distinguish the two from each other. They, mm-hmm. There is something in the theology that allows for not only the abuse, that but the condoning and the cover-up of the abuse. So the theology is bankrupt as well and the thought and the theology has been bankrupt. Anybody in our church who grew up in a Southern Baptist church and doesn't know about the abuse does did not grow up in the Southern Baptist churches that, uh, that I've heard about and that I've been in, you know, I just, <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, they, they were abusive spaces. They were theologically abusive spaces. They were physically mm-hmm. abusive spaces, emotionally abusive spaces. It's kind of like this member who called me to tell me about her experience at a funeral where there was a casket call by a fundamentalist preacher For an hour, trying to get everybody saved at the funeral, at a funeral, Mm -hmm. uh, and the theological manipulation and and, uh, harm that that does. And it it shocked this person. They had to call and talk to me about it. They had to have like a pastoral care call about Mm -hmm. it. It was so horrible. So the chickens have come home to roost, as Malcolm X said, for the Southern Baptist Convention. But of course, it begs the question for us uh, as a church that has a very clear um safety protocols regarding children and some very clear hr protocols related to abuse which keeps people safe and we would not tolerate that here however our name is associated with that same name and we were historically connected to the southern baptist convention it's where we came from we left but uh they kicked us out and um so that word that that word in our name has its same root that baptist word and i can't tell you how many people have called me after that, um this abuse uh report came out, the cover-up report, mostly. The abuse report's been going on for a while, but the cover-up, and said, when are we taking Baptist out of the name? Reopening that conversation. I know a lot of people don't want to talk about that anymore because they feel like we, we've we been down that road. But one person said, I just thought they put it so well. And, and there are, by the way, I just want everybody to understand, like this is not – New people that want us to take Baptist out of the name. These are lifelong members who grew up here who think it's time to change it and who have thought that for a while. And I can tell you who they are if you want to. You just gotta ask me personally. But I, you know, but I I won't put their names out on a podcast. But one person put it in this way. It's just so powerful, especially when you think about our work on marketing and branding and trying to to grow and attract people who want to be a part of an inclusive community in a in a time of church decline. Why would we leave a word in our name? that says danger run away. Mm. I'd never had it heard it put that way.
0: Yeah. But now,
1: now the word doesn't just mean, you know, conservative stuffy doesn't drink, doesn't dance, doesn't have fun is all about hellfire and damnation is all about, you know, conservative politics, evangelical politics, moral majority, Jerry Falwell, all the things that go with the Mm -hmm. word Baptist that are horrific and have nothing to do with who we are but now it says danger. Yeah. You could be harmed here and if you are they'll cover it up.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean that's I mean that's a different conversation now I think and so uh, I don't know what that means for us as a church you know but I do think there are a lot of people calling me about it and asking me about it.
0: Remind me offline to tell you something related to this. <laughs> oh, OK, you're not going to give the listeners a, t- a treat? Not okay. yet, not, not, not this episode. But remind me, because it's related. It's related about how we brand ourselves publicly. And um, and we. I know that this particular church is very, um, very tied to its foundation, its roots, and the founders, and the this, and the stories, and everything. And I think part of that is because it's so young compared to other places that we literally have living church members whose parents were founders or at least grandparents or something right Uh, or at least part of the we we
1: still have living members who are have founders
0: yeah yeah, right so there's this marriage to it that it's understandable and also um and also we got to start to separate ourselves from those wonderful um the stories are fine, but some of the things that came along with the stories, they got to go for us to move forward because, yeah, the Baptist thing, it's time. It's time. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. Well, not and that the don't, don't that, like,
1: it doesn't reflect who we are, not just theologically or politically or uh, um, whatever. It doesn't reflect who we are from who our members are. Yeah. When I got here in the in that packet, I think you've seen it, the, the profile that our church did looking for a new pastor. It was already more than 50% not Baptist then. <laughs> and and that's when I got here. Now it's gotten we haven't had a majority Baptist joining class in 6 years. Which means that the people who are at the core don't even have a rooted connection to this to Baptist in their heritage let alone have any connection to that word in our name. They couldn't Mm -hmm. care less. Mm -hmm. They come from Catholic and Presbyterian and Episcopalian and Lutheran backgrounds or no background at all in a church, you know? And so I think it doesn't even reflect who our members are anymore. The the ecumenical community that we are, which Steve used to say we're a Baptist church, an ecumenical church in the Baptist tradition, kind of like Congrats. we're Wake Forest University or a hospital or something. But, but yeah, we're ecumenical. We we don't need to say in the Baptist tradition, you know? And yeah. I think that's another thing. I think people are afraid that we will lose some sense of who we are, but the, that word doesn't actually describe who we are. And yeah. we're not going to like suddenly stop being congregationally led. If we took yeah. the word Baptist out of the name, that congregational polity is, Part of who we are, that's not you can just
0: be Myers Park Congregational Church. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you trying to make us
1: UCC all the time. You just keep trying to make us UCC because you got your own name. I will there. not rest. You it's, know, well, but see, we're trying to make you Baptist. So you're trying to make us UCC. We try to make it's that's the good that's the way people have always done in America. You try to make me Methodist, I try to make you Baptist.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, it goes back and forth. Yeah. So
0: yeah, well, I mean, there's more there, there's more there, but um. Yeah.
1: We, must, we have to move on.
0: Yes, we do. OK, Station 11. OK, mm. so last week we talked a little bit about it and sort of our initial, our initial reactions to the show. I'm so obsessed with it. I want to <laughs> hear, because you preached a sermon yesterday at the time of recording this, called, uh, what was it called?
1: <laughs> Mia, that is, wow. Wow. <laughs> All I can think of you is- You were in the service. Coming. You were across from me. <laughs>
0: I, all yeah. I'm, because the line I keep hearing is creation. I want to call it creation is groaning. Your servant called creation is groaning.
1: That's Paul's language. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't steal all that, but mine was renewing. It was renewing the face of the earth, which comes from the the Psalm text, which I also use. But yeah, about you know everything is spiritual and yeah, yeah. That's A summary.
0: Okay.
1: But I did. I was what I was trying to do there is connect the Holy Spirit to creation, which I don't think I hear enough of theologically. Yeah. yeah.
0: So. In that, you kept kind of harping on um, the groaning is not necessarily death. The groaning is birth, like the birth yes. pangs, right, yes. uh, that yes. that Paul talks about a lot. But even in the Gospels, we hear that language, birth pangs, a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So Station 11, trick, uh, not trigger warning, spoiler alert. Uh, we're going to talk about it, so go watch it. I don't go watch know. it. We're not going to hold back. Okay, so 99% of the the population dies across the face of the planet, apparently. And so things do die. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then new things are reborn as we see throughout the show. So Mm -hmm. there is death there. And so I guess I'm trying to reconcile like the birth pangs or the creation is groaning being about birth, which I agree with. And also Mm -hmm. we saw how the earth the earth herself was literally able to renew. I mean, there were trees growing in old theaters.
1: Yeah, that was such cool imagery. I you loved know, it. Flash flashed that a little bit as you're sitting in that theater Yeah. Uh, with Jeevan at the beginning watching Arthur on the stage. And you get that flash of what the, what it's going to look like 20 years in the future, which is totally covered in grass and trees and animals in there. I think there were, were there pigs? pigs, there were boars. Yeah, wild like boars that. in there, which was awesome. Um, God, I love wild boars. And, um, so I think that was, it was, I think that that reminds me of what I keep hearing from environmentalists, especially folks in the extinction rebellion group and things like that is it, it's not, which I love that term extinction rebellion, because it's not about we're going to kill the earth. It's about humanity. Human beings will be eliminated. Yes. Not, not the earth. The earth will renew. The Earth has has rotated around this fiery ball of sun uh, for a long time, and it's been really, really cold here for a long time. It's been really, really hot here for a long time. Mm-hmm. There were dinosaurs. I know some folks who think they're Jesus horses don't believe that, but there's like there were dinosaurs. There were there was evolution, and there could be a de-evolution and a reevolution. And I think we keep thinking about it from this anthropocentric perspective where we're going to be, you know, oh what's going to happen to the earth, the poor earth, we're going to kill the earth. We're going no, to we're going to kill ourselves. We're killing ourselves. It's we're going to die. Yeah. And so but the earth will renew and the earth will go on without us and it's almost like um I felt a lot of that in Station 11 like the virus and I thought about that a lot when covid hit that the virus was in some ways like it is already creation reacting yeah. to our misbehavior.
0: That's right. You know,
1: it's creation saying, Look, <laughs> I you know, station eleven is not that far off now that we've been through COVID. Like it used to be you would see a movie about a virus and you'd be like, oh man, nobody gets viruses. You know, they always talk about a new virus, nobody gets it. You know, um, a few people get it. But in reality, it could happen. So killing ninety nine percent of the population, I did not think at the beginning of COVID that a million people would be dead. Yeah. If you told me at the beginning of COVID, I wouldn't have come out of my house if you told me that ever again. Like I'm maybe one time. Um, but if you told me a million people in America were going to die from that in two years, I'd have been like, oh, my God, you know, that's a that's bigger than that's big time numbers, bigger than any war that we've ever had in American history. Um, so, yeah. So uh, creation is reacting right it's reacting it's jumping these viruses are jumping species now because mm-hmm. of the way we're treating species but because of where species are proximity to species mm-hmm. right uh, i think i'm thinking about the pangolin and the bat and how yep. coronaviruses are jumping from bat to pangolin to human and morphing and changing and growing and so there's a creations reacting to us and it it's clear it could kill us now like yeah. I don't know if you ever watched uh, M. Night Shyam- Shyamalan's uh, movie. I love M. Night Shyamalan. I know people think he jumps the shark and stuff, and it's not real, but I always think the premises are, like, a lot of fun, which I talked about The Village, that movie that he did in a sermon a while back. But the one that I love, it's called The, the Happening. And it's like this – it's just like all of a sudden the wind blows and creation reacts, and it just kills people. It just starts killing people like and it gets into their brains and then they they kill themselves like it's something that like a like something in the air a virus or something in the air that gets into people and they just die they jump off a building so people just all over the earth start committing suicide wow and then nobody understands why that's what the happening is about and um and it's about like these people trying to hide and find a way to survive in the midst of the happening and it just kind of culls the population and it all it's all the wind the wind does it. And if the imagery of it is just so powerful, it's kind of like creation is like, no, I'm tired of this. I'm just mm-hmm. tired of this. So I'm going to just we're going to change the game now. Boom. It's like, you know, apocalyptic is what it feels like.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I'm going to put a trigger warning at the top of this episode, but I've been thinking a lot about the suicide rates. And I've been seeing I saw two videos over the weekend of people being rescued from trying to. Uh, kill themselves oh so one lady was trying to jump off a bridge and so these people had gotten out of their car and they were like pulling on her and i think it eventually ended up they got her and then this other man tried to drive into a lake and these people all rushed over was at a golf course and they like pull him out of the car he's fighting them that these are in the same week i saw these two videos right oh. and i've been thinking about how the the pandemic has affected people's mental health the state of the world um, And it just sort of feels like uh, things are dying and (laughs) and people are really fighting to live and not winning that fight. And I'm just uh, seeing the pandemic. I mean, seeing Station Eleven was um, like the choice was really kind of made for people. I mean, Mm
1: -hmm. there are people
0: kind of like stuck in their cars going to the hospital and never made it. Right. It was just like and that's it.
1: But there is. Okay, so let's play with this a little bit. I like this. So I think you're right. It's birth and death. It's death and birth. So the Christian tradition, which is why you know why it made sense to talk about this on Sunday, has reframed death as rebirth mm-hmm. and not just reframed almost all groaning uh, as rebirth, as birth, because of the story of resurrection. Now, I think a lot of that theology and the way it does that is really problematic, you mm-hmm. know. It does not give appropriate space for suffering, violence, injustice, and what we should do about it, or help us to understand that our alignment is with the crucified, not with the resurrected, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like we have found ourselves too too drawn to glory and triumphalism and violence and war as Christians and not drawn instead to where people in the world are being crucified and so thank God for the liberation tradition that is leading us back there and taking us back to that place. However, there is a general reframing of the t- subject of death in Christianity toward rebirth That is, could be good, could be bad, depending upon how you do it, right? So I'm thinking about that, but I'm also thinking about how in Station 11, there are people who react quite differently to the, the things that occur, the, the pandemic, as well as the 20 years later down the road, um, And so you see people early on, Jeevan is seeing people buying lots of groceries, right? But also, you know, burning things down, taking over planes, that guy busts into the house with Frank and stabs Frank, mm-hmm. right? Um, Because he just shows up. My wife always says that's her, her the scariest scene of the whole thing. To her mm-hmm. is that guy just showing up and the way he looks, they made it so real mm-hmm. that it looks like an intruder would come into your house looking like yeah uh, and like it just freaks her out all the time so that guy is obviously approaching the end of the world quite differently than jeevan and kirsten were uh and then 20 years later we have subsects who are reacting to the death of the world or the or the this in a new way and so mm-hmm. i think about the prophecy and the way the prophecy is lived out by kirsten versus the way the prophecy is lived out by the prophet mm. I remember his tyler yeah tyler tyler gathers a group of children right and in the book it's much worse what he's doing to the children thank god we didn't have that but it's much worse what's going on with the children but these children become like do these like suicide missions right Mm -hmm. and what are the what's their philosophy like never go back there is is no before There's no before yeah there's no before Right. So there's one group that's saying there is no before. And sometimes I really want to be in that group because there's I like I like that path.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> then yeah. there's Pearson's group that goes with the traveling symphony and they're creating a new world and they're doing Shakespeare. So, of course, there's a before for them. Yeah. Right. And they talk about their families and their loved ones and they remember and they tell stories and they, you know, and they're trying to they birth the new world. But they're still talking about what died, what they yeah. lost. Whereas this group has decided there is no before. yeah, We don't care about what happened beforehand. So we're cutting ourselves off from the past. And then there's the more unhealthy, the Museum of Civilization. This is where they're preserving the past so that they can rebuild the world and make the world in the image of the past, Mm. right? And so Arthur's best friend, from his theater days yeah, uh, turns out to find himself at the museum of civilization. And he's built this like museum preserving all the things from the past. And of course the prophet and his children want to blow up the museum of civilization. Why? Because they want to cut off things from the past. So I see, let me make a, you know, a typology. I hate typologies, but let me make one. Um, You've got these three choices, right, of how to face the apocalypse. One is to cut yourself off from all the past and say there is no before and be violent and whatever. Mm-hmm. One is to try to preserve the past at, in a museum. Hmm. Like Which, churches do. Oh, well, you, you got there before I did. Yes. <laughs> like like a lot of churches that think of themselves as museums and not like living, living breathing communities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that path. I think both of those are the extreme opposites of each other and both unhealthy ways to move through the world. And I see the traveling symphony as the – as the the not perfect in any no. way. They're not perfect, but as the path of health, remembering the past but in a new way
0: mm-hmm.
1: and reinterpreting the past uh, and reinterpreting Hamlet and reinterpreting King Lear and reinterpreting Shakespeare. Uh, with a community that is telling stories uh, and think about how they deal with the loss of their leader mm-hmm. versus the way um, the, the, the children deal with the, the burning of the museum of civilization or the museum of civilization do with, you know, what they, their world, you know, and all that. And Oh, and remember what changes Tyler, what radicalizes him is his, is their refusal to save the people on the plane.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think about all these kids growing up that are his age right now in this country that watched us refuse to protect the vulnerable, those with immunocompromised, the elderly, minority communities that were hit harder by COVID. Mm -hmm. And they're growing up in a world where they have already been shown. And by the way, I, I, I always remember you talking about what you've experienced in your life politically, but- and I mean that, like what what America has been like in your life, oh
0: yeah. you know, what,
1: what your generation has experienced. Now we have got this group like my daughter's age, the group younger than you, right? Two generations under the under you. What are they experiencing? They're experiencing a country that doesn't doesn't give a damn about mm-hmm. certain groups of people, and has made it explicitly clear. Not only does they don't give a damn, they're willing to just watch them die. Yeah. Rather than put in a mask mandate or, you know, a vaccine mandate or. Uh, these other things that could have saved us all from the very beginning right yeah uh, and i just think that's what radical what radicalizes tyler is the same thing is people so afraid of their own health that they refuse to allow the people to come off the plane yeah you know, and they watch them die all out there and really they were alive for a long long time right yeah I think what we learn in the end is that they could have helped them, and they wouldn't have been they they did because they didn't die from being sick. They died probably from starving, from starvation.
0: Yeah. yeah, some of them probably were sick, but that one man who had he
1: wasn't survived. Yeah.
0: I mean, he that he would have probably been immune by the time they got him off the plane if they would have cared. But
1: they could have quarantined him for a right. while, which is what they did to other groups. You know, right. so they but they for whatever reason they were heartless toward that group, and that radicalizes uh, Tyler to go anti. The community and he, sh- he shuts off the museum of civilization which again shows how that they're really just opposite reactions to the same thing mm-hmm. you know two sides of the same coin these two extremes um yeah so that and that heartlessness then leads to more heartlessness by yeah. tyler's group you know yeah
0: Huh, there's so much in this. I wish I could just. I mean, I mean, there's there's a whole podcast on Station Eleven.
1: Oh, I need to listen to. That. I haven't. I haven't listened to it yet. All
0: right, I'm gonna find it for the listeners. Um, I listened to it. It's called. It's called. Station Eleven. Oh. Well. <laughs> the podcast.
1: It's very called... creative.
0: <laughs> uh, that was yeah. It's eleven <laughs> episodes. Of course, I listened to it and then I watched the show again. But it's. Um, <laughs> It's hosted by a couple of people who host other things. Like they have their own lives and own platforms. But um, I really enjoy. And they talk to the director. They talk to oh. a few of the actors. They talk to like the music person who does the orchestration about how they came mm. up with that theme. The theme that we kept hearing over and over again. Um, so it was very fascinating so I, I highly recommend you go listen to it but they had some really heavy theological themes for me it was very in, I was very inspired by it but I'm I'm mm. kind of of like right now not so much Tyler but I'm very much like burn it all down just sort of how I feel like <laughs> there is no nothing, before. there is no before there is no reform Burn uh, it all, down, yeah. and over, it all right? down and start over because yeah. because I'm just you know I, I watched I watched this country completely just let people die in New Orleans. And I just at this point, I'm like, eh, you know, we mm-hmm. can burn it down. And now that we've had these school shootings and the police aren't doing anything yep, yeah, we can go ahead and cancel the police. Yeah. Let's go, go ahead. ahead
1: and burn the Museum of Civilization.
0: Yeah. Like, what is that for? So that's kind of where I am. I'm not as radical as Tyler, but uh, or at least as violent as Tyler.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What's it? What do they call that? Afro pessimist? Sound yeah. like an Afro pessimist. That's me.
0: probably I mean, I, I I don't, I'm very careful about titles. I don't claim a lot of titles, but, um, but yeah. I can
1: see that. Well, I remember when um, Miguel was here, Miguel said a lot, like, you know, um, hope Hope is a problem because yeah. a lot of times hope leads people to sit on their laurels and not do anything thinking something's going to come, when yeah. in reality we need a sense of hopelessness because that desperation may, may move us into an action that creates a new new world, a new beginning. But I, I think you're, you're making. I, I'm, I'm all, I'm very often like Tyler. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to use violence, so that's like my line. But otherwise, like, I'm and trying, we're not
0: abusive. We're not like trying to. No, like,
1: I'm not trying to manipulate was, children. Yeah, with, yeah. But I think the thing that's, how do we oscillate back and forth between Tyler, and and the, and the and the, and the traveling, the traveling symphony. symphony. Yeah. So the prophet and his children versus the museum of civilization versus the. The traveling symphony. The problem is a lot of times, and I think this is a problem with generational divide part of a generational divide and a way that's happening in churches too. I you and I wake up in the morning and we feel like Tyler, but half the congregation is in the museum of civilization. You know?
0: Or they're in the professor yeah remember the professors who had like they got they were on the symphony and they got tired of it so they went to go build their own little they went to go settle on that oh yeah
1: and then tyler killed them anyway
0: yeah so so i I think i think there's like the congregation is like professors and the museum of civilization somewhere in between there
1: yeah and i I know there's some people that in the congregation are like tyler and then there's lots that want to be but see i think all of us and this goes back to like the rebuilding community moment that we're in now like, how do we take people who are like the professor who wanted to go do their own thing and left the traveling symphony, That are disgruntled with the traveling symphony. Let's use that word. Then we've got um, Tyler and their group is like, just burn it all down because it's, it's been broken forever and it's not going back. There is no before. Burn mm-hmm. it down. And then the Museum of Civilization people still trying to preserve this you know, old world, even though it's gone. How do we get those three groups of people, the Burn It Down, the professor group, and the museum people to go back into the symphony, to build the symphony, to, to, to see the vision of community that the symphony is? Which to me is always – I know they didn't make it perfect, but it's an idealistic image to me.
0: Mm-hmm. It's,
1: it's idealistic to imagine a group of people from many different backgrounds coming together and creating a life with each other, yeah. creating chosen family um, at, that lar- at that size, maybe two or three, but at that size, 40 people or so, and then performing these beautiful um, plays and music and understanding their lives as people who bring art and joy and life and celebration to people, which is what we try to do with worship. I thought of every time they got to, they really could have been a traveling worship.
0: Yeah, you know, they were a church.
1: Yeah, they were a church, they were a community, and they were trying to bring church everywhere around, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. The lack of religion in it is actually helpful in seeing the religious aspects to it because mm-hmm. it doesn't get cloudy that way. But how do we get people to see the vision of community that can be possible in a traveling symphony instead of st- spending all their time in the Museum of Civilization or wanting to go over and, and with the professor, you know, and... That's the work that we have to do.
0: They are more like the early church than we are Mm. in that there is no brick and mortar holding them down. So the professors have settled for like, we're tired. We're going to. Settle and and build the Tower of Babel, or at least something. We're going to build something, not the Tower of Babel. Yeah. The museum yeah. civilization—that
1: is like, a Tower build, of Babel. The tower of Babel. tower of Babel,
0: and God was like, "But I called you to fill the earth. I didn't call you to settle in sinar I called you to go out and do and populate and build mm. and 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 yeah. so the traveling symphony is kind of closer to like a God vision than any of the other groups of people.
1: Yes, and isn't it ironic that the two groups that have fulfilled that vision are the traveling symphony and Tyler and his children, the prophet and his Mm. children. They're the only two groups without brick and mortar, the other groups. And there's some message in that about safety, security, and institution building, right? Like that, that there's something inherently conservative and about institution building and bricks and mortar, because it, it sets, you have to then protect all that. Once you build all that, you have to protect it. And you have to pay for it and you have to care about it and you have to do things to it. It creates, just like when you buy a house, you know, you got to take care of it. You got to fix stuff. You got to call people in to make things better. You got to buy new things, you know, for it. You got to fix doors. And it it becomes its own life sucking problem if -hmm. you're not careful about how you handle it. And that's the same thing was true with bricks and mortar anywhere. So it's so beautiful that the Traveling Symphony. They, have, they don't have any of that. They sleep out in tents, they mm-hmm. camp, they take care of each other. And so I think the message for me there is security is in community, not in buildings.
0: Yes. All right. My final thought, because we're, we're at time, but I kind of forgot Jeevan's. There's a group of people that we don't see a lot that Ooh. are still doing things that aren't that. So, like, yes. Jeevan is like off in the woods and he's like the doctor. I kind of want to be like Jeevan. I feel like I would be like his path. Like,
1: yeah, he's I help a people.
0: But then I'm going back to my like shack in the woods and leave me alone.
1: And their, their village is very agricultural, which yeah. also there's a lot to talk about there from sort of civilization building and what, what is civilization and where does it come from and is it tied to agriculture or not? Um, I read this incredible book while I was on sabbatical uh, that I have here. I'm still trying to figure out how to preach this book yet, but it's called The Dawn of Everything, A New History of Humanity. Have you seen this book yet? No, but it's huge. It's 570 pages, and I read it while I was on sabbatical. It's the best book I've read in a long, long time. And it's basically about how we we don't understand how advanced indigenous cultures were in relationship to freedom and equality. And we always think of, like, freedom, free communities and those uh, uh, indigenous communities that were free and equal, many of which predate. Um, Sumer predate Egypt uh, as somehow like primitive, and in reality, he's they 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 debunk all that to the point where there is there is no way to look back on those civilizations as primitive, given the amount of freedom and cooperative political life they had in those times. It's a very fascinating book.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Anyway,
1: I'll yeah. leave you leave y'all you with that recommendation <laughs> and. Oh, it's, it's such a good to talk the, the, theology about station 11.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm going to watch it. Everybody needs end. to
1: watch this. Oh, <laughs> so, so hopeful.
0: Yes. Well, we'll be back next time with uh, some more pop culture, television, mm-hmm. music yep. discussions as we continue the series. Uh, we hope to uh, chat with you more. See you next time. Friends, that was our episode this week. As always, please email your questions and your suggestions to Rev. Mia McLean at mmcclain at myersparkbaptist.org. Until next time, take care. This is Sacred Justice.